1: Some podcasts do it for the fun. Some do it for the fame. Chad and Cheese, they do it for global F and domination. That's right, bringing America to its knees was just the beginning. Now, they have their eyes set on conquering Europe, and they've drafted industry veteran Levan von Neuerhauser of Belgium to help them navigate the old country and bring HR's most dangerous podcast across the pond to trash talk like never before. Not safe for work in any language.
2: The Chad and Cheese Podcast Does Europe. Oh yeah, with war raging, a pair of Ukrainian civilian soldiers were married in Kiev on Sunday, flanked by their fellow soldiers. A little light in the darkness, people, that's what you'll find here. You are listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast Does Europe. I'm your co-host, Joel. All you need is love, Cheeseman. This is Chad, no fly zone, so wash.
3: And I'm leaving bent from Reddit, Vanuwenhausen.
2: And on this episode, the world embraces the pullout method, a little less anarchy in the UK, and more Elon love from our favorite Belgian. Let's do this. Europe has a bunch of countries in it.
0: European, talent, intelligence. What does it mean? Imagine a world where it's easier for you to find and know your target group where it's easier to recruit and attract the talent you need from a European talent pool. Every year, thousands of corporate recruiters, HR departments and intermediaries rely on Intelligence Group to make that dream a reality. Intelligence Group is the European market leader in recruitment talent intelligence, with innovative dashboards and tailor-made research in 28 European countries. It is our job to empower you as a state-of-the-art, data-driven recruitment business partner. Recruiting with data is great. Recruiting with Intelligence Group is better. Learn more about our services at intelligence-group.nl Intelligence Group, market leader in European Talent Intelligence.
1: Okay, I got I to know, how did Levin get banned from Reddit? Out of all of us, I, he's getting banned from Reddit. How'd that happen?
3: I suggested someone put a fire on the beard of one Chechen terrorist, and they claim that's uh, asking for violence, and that's a reason <laughs> to ban me from Reddit. does
2: anyone-
3: I mean, with a beard like that, he was asking for it.
2: Our listenership just 10xed on that news <laughs> that we have a co-host that's been banned by Reddit. That's fantastic <laughs> for ratings.
1: Yep. <laughs> uh, let's see what the, the, the mystery guest has to give us. I, I'm wondering I'm wondering if she's been banned from she Reddit. She may be gone at this point. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, so today we have head of TA Tech in the EU for Wayfair. Welcome to the show, Juana Ioricescu. Juana, I know I just totally mutilated your name.
4: Yes, I was just gonna leave because you didn't handle that <laughs> one well.
2: <laughs> Damn it, I'm trying.
4: In the practice, folks, he did pretty well, so I, I give you that. Wana, you're, you're
2: the cash cow. That's <laughs> you're the cash cow.
1: Tell us a, a little, a little bit more about you. Humbled beginnings in, in Romania. T- tell us about. Uh, tell us about Wana.
4: Yes, Jed, uh, Um I think I'm, I'm lucky with this type of job. Um, it's a bit like developers; you can go anywhere. So. Uh, Hi, everyone. Juana Jordekescu here. Um, Indeed, originally from Romania, started in talent acquisition. Technology has been my, my bread and butter for the past 10 years. And then I managed to actually move to Dublin, Ireland, where I worked with Facebook, moved to Amsterdam a bunch of years after... Uh, with booking.com and had the opportunity to build an ai lab a specific team in paris and now i'm in berlin uh working with wayfair and building an amazing team so thank you for having me on the show <laughs> wanna get around
2: and quana want- has some skills son what's your favorite place you've lived thus far
4: i people always ask me this and i i do not have one but i would say this if uh-huh. you are a family kind of <laughs> <laughs> if you're kind of a family oriented person go yeah. to amsterdam indeed baby making city right for sure Uh (laughs) but if you like like sports go to dublin if you like a fun techno scene go to berlin paris baguettes like you can find your thing anywhere right so just find your thing
1: yeah i didn't hear you say portugal anywhere is that next are you gonna go to portugal next
4: Who, who told you that
2: <laughs> Chad knows. <Uh-oh>. Chad knows.
4: <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But to be honest, Lisbon is one of my favorite cities.
1: Excellent.
2: Well, Cheeseman, you want to get it to some shout outs? Uh, speaking of sexiness, yes. I got a shout out for everybody. Uh, my shout out goes to Emmanuel Macron. Macron. My yes. Not, not since de Gaulle have Americans known of, <laughs> of the French prime minister as much as have so, so last week, Emmanuel Macron announced he would run for a second term in April's French election, seeking a mandate to steer the Eurozone's second largest economy through the fallout from Ukraine and COVID. If successful, he would be the first French leader in two decades to win re-election. I like his style. He's a bit of a pit bull on Putin. And he put the smack down on the non-vaxxers by saying no cafe for you. <laughs> French leaders are largely invisible to us Americans, but Macron has stood out. Good luck in April, mon frère. Shout out to Emmanuel Macron. Imagine that. So, so
1: leaving in in, in Juana, what are your thoughts of uh, of Macron versus <laughs> kind of like the other the other European leaders? He he has stuck out a lot, but is that not just because he's just a good-looking guy? Kind of like Canada, you don't really remember <laughs> anything about Canada, but they get a good-looking, you know, Justin Trudeau, and yeah. then you know he seems to be everywhere. So, what are your
4: thoughts? Definitely beauty bias. We all know it's real, <laughs> right? It is. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> do you even remember show do you even remember who was before nobody knows right so right yeah <laughs> but um uh, to be honest i am um i'm very curious because the his competitors i'm not a big fan of macron but i'm even a less fan of the others i'll just close it there
2: <laughs> why are yeah. you not a fan of macron <laughs> He's French. He's, He's French. I
4: mean, France is big and very diverse, right? And I mm-hmm. think his approach is very much, we have this white, rich dudes, which I need to serve kind of situation and yeah. not the rest, sorry.
1: What about you, Lévin? That seems like it's going right down your lane. Macron.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, you no, live I next think... to Macron, don't you, Lévin?
3: Yeah, it's pretty close. I was yeah, in Paris cool. last week. I didn't see him, but uh, we don't <laughs> frequent the same places, I guess. <laughs> The only thing I know about Macron is that he's into old women.
1: <laughs> that's mostly it. Older women. Older, older, older women. Know, Let's not older piss women. off
2: every demographic on this show.
4: <laughs> he likes to be taught some lessons. Let's put it like that.
2: There Ooh, you go. I love that. <laughs> yes. There you go. Oh we my all God. like to be taught some lessons. Oh, not <laughs> that
1: we've had that sound effect played that many times on a podcast, alone just the intro. Well, Leaving we've never
2: the- had wanna. I'm the cash cow on the show.
1: <laughs> leaving. you got a shout out? Yeah. Uh,
3: shout out to Elon Musk, of course. Go figure. For getting a, bu- a building permit today for his new factory. And the fun part is, he started building three years ago, saying, and I quote, we can't wait for those German bureaucrats to give us a permit, end quote. <laughs>
2: Hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. Elon spreading his love all across Europe. Leaving is so excited.
3: I love him. Elon for president
2: <laughs> of the world. Shout out to Zenjob, a gig marketplace
1: platform targeting students and others looking for side hustles in sectors like retail, logistics, hospitality, operating in Germany, the Netherlands, and the UK. They just received 46 million euros in Series D uh, taking their total funding to about 98.4 million euros. Uh, Zenjob says they will use the money to further expand into Europe. So we, we've we talked about platforms like Job and Talent, who now, go figure, mm-hmm. have a shit ton of cash. Zenjob is literally a, a, another one of these types of, of platforms based out of Germany. Personally, I think this is the staffing uh, industry's Operating system of the near future. What do you think, Levin? So you're you're in you're in the whole staffing piece of the world.
3: Today, it's better to be a staffing platform than a staffing company. It's uh it's good for the for the value or the valuation. or do you say it? Yeah. To get
1: a higher value. Mm-hmm. Well, here's here's a, a great quote from the article on TechCrunch. We have roughly seventy five percent fully automated processes. And our aim is to get north of 95% in the near future, end quote. So, this is what staffing looks like, right? I mean, tech to drive quicker placements, less headcount, and more margin, obviously. So, I mean, this is organizations like House of HR investing and actually developing your own, prospectively acquiring. This, to me, looks like
2: what every staffing company has to do. Mm -hmm. Jed, what's the valuation on those guys? Good question. Well... I'm getting tired of not playing the unicorn soundbite. So, God damn it, people. <laughs> let's get that cash cash register flowing again because I'm missing the pink, fluffy unicorns. That's just me probably, though.
5: Yeah,
3: that's kind of catchy.
2: We got events coming up, right? That's right. Levin, this is Levin's time to shine, man. Levin, you got some event coming coming up soon.
3: <laughs> oh, they'd already mentioned the E-Recruitment Congress. House of HR is organizing on the 6th of May in Ostend, Belgium. We um, lost COVID. We got Putin, but uh, <laughs> you're
2: still welcome. And leave, and if someone wants to sponsor that event, are you are you accepting sponsors at this point?
3: From time to time, I am, but I'm very very picky. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did those cheapskates over at LinkedIn finally sponsor? I mean, this seems like a no-brainer for them. Of
3: course, because huh, if you take into account a huge contract we just signed with LinkedIn, you'd think <laughs> they would be all over me trying to get me uh, offering them a, a contract to sponsor. But let's say they starting into it, and we might have a bigger one next year, but I'm welcoming them anyway. Thank you, LinkedIn, for sponsoring our Congress. <laughs>
2: Sorry, I, I, got, I got to ask. We, 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 yeah. we, have a T, we have a TA pro on the line. Wana, uh, give us your thoughts on LinkedIn. Are you a fan? Do you like him better than Macron? Like, what? where are you on the LinkedIn spectrum?
4: I mean, it does the job, right? So, uh, while it, it's becoming quite monopolistic, I would say. Is that a mm-hmm. good word? Is that a word?
5: <laughs> Very
3: much um,
4: so. Yeah, I mean, you can't debate it, right? Many people use it and everybody would be like, oh, but you should use anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we we all need it at the moment.
2: It's the drug they all need. Chad. A little bit, No, right? no one's getting off. It, it is. It's the cocaine, man. It's the cocaine. <laughs> Life is good at LinkedIn. Yeah. Leela?
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I no, I really like LinkedIn. I mean, there's nothing as good as LinkedIn when it comes to self-sustainable databases. So I must say, thank you, LinkedIn. Your product is okay. It could be better, but every product can be better. Yeah. And next time you will sponsor more, but I'm happy you sponsor already. So welcome, LinkedIn.
1: <laughs> welcome, LinkedIn. And we have July Recruit Fest is happening. July oh, yeah. 6th, 7th, somewhere? Nebworth Park. Yeah, if you are in Europe and you're not going to Belgium for the E-Recruitment Congress, you're not going to RecFest. What are you doing? It's time to get the hell back out there. Let's do this. e-recruitment-congress.com or just type in RecFest 2022 into Google and get registered
2: for both events.
1: It's a topic,
2: all right, let's talk about Russia, shall we? That's, Gone, that's coming yeah. out in the news. I right, I haven't heard this much about pulling out since my days at Sigma Chi. Everybody, all right. <laughs> we know governments are putting the smackdown on Russia in light of their invasion of Ukraine, but corporations are going hard to the hole too. Here's a list of some of the most prominent boycotts impacting Russia. New today, as we as we record this on a Monday, China-based TikTok. Said it was suspending live streaming in Russia. Microsoft suspends all new sales. Apple said no more iPhones for you and blocked Apple Pay as well as its streaming service. Electronic Arts said no FIFA 22. I hear soccer is kind of popular in Russia. (laughs) IKEA has closed its 17 stores Russia is its 10th largest market, so there's a little pain on that one. Chad's favorite, Hermes, has closed all its stores. Nike has said no more Air Jordans. Netflix has gone black. Airbnb has taken away the welcome mat. Spotify has turned down the volume to zero. Mercedes, BMW, and Harley Davidson have sped away. Boeing and Airbus have flown the coop. Who are we still waiting on? McDonald's, Pepsi, and Coca Cola. Woo! Capitalism has stepped up. Everyone, what do you take away from this? And most importantly, who's ready to boycott the Big Mac?
4: What do you? How do you see this from there? Right? You see all these massive corporations which are mm-hmm. chipping away a bit at their yearly budget, yeah. a, 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 quite a bit here and there, right? And as with the sanctions, we just—I I, even here, like for me, I don't necessarily see how people feel or feel this impact, right? Like, we don't hear interviews with them. I don't necessarily see a lot of communication from the ground. So, yeah. in a way, we all say we've done all these things, but are they done implemented today? Uh, what's the effect expected? Because, to my in my opinion, a lot of people who shouldn't suffer from this are suffering from this, and I'm not sure if it actually hits mm-hmm. Putin in any way.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, sanctions and these companies pulling out are like a boa constrictor it doesn't kill its prey quickly but ever so slowly and then you know life is obviously squeezed out of it problem is the life being obviously uh those those poor people in russia because yes putin's still getting fed right Mm -hmm. he still has the uh, silver spoon but -hmm. the question is what can we do to be able to make it harder on him, and one of the things that I noted that that uh, Joel didn't mention is that Disney and Warner Brothers are suspending their release of the Batman. Mm, good point. Yep. right. To Russia, US's biggest export is pop culture. Russia loves pop culture. US pop culture, right? Uh, yep. Knowing that this is not bad for Putin, and Putin probably loves this because getting less Americanized is, yes. is exactly what he wants. <laughs>
4: A little bit, to be honest.
1: <laughs> but yeah, but this is this is again trying to, I think, unsettle the mass population over there to actually do something about
2: this. Yeah, no Batman or Buzz Lightyear for you, Russia. Sorry about that. So yeah, dude, we are connected more than ever before, and mm-hmm. capitalism is a big part of that. Russians don't want to go back, or at least younger ones don't want to go back to the days of the USSR. They want iPhones, they want Starbucks, and of course they want TikTok. Um, If you're going to stop the war, to me it's becoming more evident that internal pressure may be the best way to ouster Putin. Uh, We're seeing this with protests in Russia which is a huge risk to the protesters, by the way. A lot yeah. of them are in jail. Probably some of them are dead. And watching businesses take a place besides government uh, or beside government, to me, is real inspiring. Um, you know, oligarchs losing yachts and football teams on the on one side and then everyday Russians losing Nikes and Netflix on the other uh, mm-hmm. may prove more powerful than bombs when all, when all is said and done in this.
3: No, I totally agree. And I think... It's double. You have the 150 million Russians who are getting annoyed because they can't do whatever they were doing anymore. And you can be all the Putin you want to be. If 150 million Russians are annoyed, you better behave. Yes. And then there are those 20 or something oligarchs, which are billionaires. Mm. And I can imagine it must be extremely frustrating. You've been stealing from the people for 20 years, and then at last you're a billionaire. And you have to drive a Lada because Mercedes and BMW aren't delivering anymore in Russia. And you have a yacht and the people are getting your yacht chained. So it's no fun at all being a billionaire anymore. So I think those two groups, <laughs> the 20 billionaires and the 150 million Russians, if they collaborate, Putin's got a problem. <laughs> That's the whole idea.
4: Just saying, from for the fans of Elon Musk, maybe he'll pop in with a <laughs> with a big offer, right? Like he, if all the big car brands are pulling out, he he can he can make a lot of sales. But all in all, I think it's a very interesting sign of solidarity from mm-hmm. this massive corporation that we haven't seen before in any other context at this scale. I think it will all be cool to watch for the next hopefully not long right but i'm curious if this lasts for months maybe a year who knows Will they keep their position
1: gonna be a lot of pressure and it's not gonna happen overnight and in the us we are all, i mean we're a part of the 24-hour news craziness and it's like you know we we look for things to happen too quick this is this is a boa constrictor in this case uh, but i have to say shout out to grammarly uh their ukrainian born founders mm-hmm. will donate All of their net revenue earned from Russia and Belarus since the war started in 2014 through 2022. So creating a... $5 $5 million fund, its founder said in a statement. Uh, over the past week, Grammarly has already given $1 million to Ukraine humanitarian groups. So uh, big names stepping up, either pulling out or giving.
3: I think Putin called it almost a declaration of war, all those punishments, all those sanctions. So it must be hurting him in, in some sort of a way. And um, the Russian space agents said something like... Um, We won't sell you any more rockets. You can fly to the ISS space station Mm -hmm. on your broomstick. So Mm -hmm. it must be getting on their nerves some way or another. Yeah. But I'm sure Elon Musk will call his next SpaceX model broomstick. So the Russians (laughs) will be right after all. (laughs) Russians are uh, trying to head back. And just a few hours ago, they published a list of states they consider unfriendly, unfriendly Mm -hmm. towards Russia. Uh And I looked at the list, and it's quite a long list. Many states are unfriendly. But um, Belgium was not on it. I mean, Liechtenstein is on it. Shame. San Marino is on it. Iceland is on oh, it. The Canadians are on it. But Belgium shame. is not on it. It's so insulting. I mean, it's roots. <laughs> so i think he should reconsider
2: if only you could take if only you could take to reddit to diss russia to get on that <laughs> list but unfortunately i've been banned from reddit uh, this is a great day real, real quickly too guys obviously companies in russia are feeling mm-hmm. the pain from all this and just real quickly in, in our industry Um, Another frozen stock belongs to the leading recruitment marketplace in Russia, Headhunter Group. Uh, The NASDAQ-listed company has not yet provided any official statements on the impact of the crisis on its current activities. Its share price, however, has nosedived around 67% since mid-February. Uh, If you don't know Headhunter, they run numerous recruitment sites across former Soviet bloc countries. However, they are not in Ukraine and its business may be affected if some of these countries decide to take punitive measures against Russian companies. So if you're a Headhunter group shareholder, you're feeling a lot of pain around now.
3: Europe has a bunch of countries in it.
2: Everyone deserves their best job. That's what Fiji stands for. We make a big difference for independent recruiters with the strength of our fast-growing recruiter network. At Fiji, you can be your best self and work for the company you'd like whenever and wherever. We support you with the best digital and online recruitment marketing. We offer professional business development support, recruitment specialist training, and a bit of
5: rebellious network meetings. Let's join strengths and help more professionals find the job they love. Celebrate recruitment and join Fiji at FYGI.nl.
2: All right, let's talk a little anarchy in the U.K., or in this case, a little less anarchy, hopefully. The U.K. gets smart, it's about time, with its prisons. Britain's first smart, that's in quotes, prison designed with smart technology and with no bars on windows Windows opened recently. It's a project expected to drive down crime and create job opportunity. Well, what else is new? Cells will be called Rooms. Prisoners will be called residents, and the 1,700 capacity prison will also feature a gym, snooker table, which you haven't played snooker in a while, uh, table tennis, and a computer tablet to help prisoners gain new qualifications and skills. This is the first jail in the country to have been designed with education, training, and jobs for prisoners on release as its main purposes. Okay, everyone, is this the future of prisons? Or is the UK getting too soft on crime?
3: Well, that gives, go to your room, a whole new explanation. <laughs> I'm kind of a fan. I like it. I mean, at House of HR, we have a, a project. It's a nonprofit organization called JobRoads. so we try to match inmates with companies and um, actual job interviews. Nice. Yeah, it's really nice. I like it. And the job interviews are taking place in prison when the people are still in prison. So the moment they get out, they have a job. And we have some clients who are really open to this and who go to the prison to talk to those inmates. And it's important for their self-esteem. We can offer them a prospect. Uh, some how, kind of future. how long have you been
2: doing this? A few years already. Do you have any numbers around it? I could check them out. I don't know them by heart,
3: but um, maybe we should get back on this. I could invite the CEO of the project to have a talk. Oh, that's
2: fantastic. Yes. I didn't know about that. That's great.
3: So yeah, I'm a believer. I think it's a good idea. And I know it's the American way to um, be as harsh as possible on mm-hmm. uh, on inmates, but I don't think that's the way. I once saw a documentary, is that the name? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. A television show on jails in the United States. Uh-huh. And there was the, um, <laughs> the president of the jail, how do you call him, the director. And he said, he was very proud. He said, my dogs get $3 a day food and the inmates only $1 a day. And it made him feel really good indeed. And I thought, damn, that's not human at all. Welcome to America.
4: This is a pretty interesting project. And uh, for Europe, European countries, we do see this quite a bit. A lot of countries are actually Sweden, even Germany a bit, they start saying we actually don't have enough prisoners <laughs> because the focus is so much on rehabilitation, reintegration in society. If if we talk about, let's say, longer sentences and how you actually disconnect and dissociate. So this is interesting. Uh, I, I, what What is this distinguishing this from, let's say, current other prisons, which I would say they're very social and, again, focused on education, is the smart thing. This This I didn't really get, Chad, like when Joel, what do they mean by the smart prison? Is it because there's more technology in it? Or I'm actually a bit curious there.
1: Yeah, I mean that's part of it. That's part of it. I mean, it's it's not just a smart prison because of the technology that they're using in it, but they are it's also smart because they're training people to 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 go back to work. And here's some numbers. Mm -hmm. In the UK, 75% of inmates re-offended within nine years of release and 39.3% within the first 12 months. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the U.S. has one of the highest recidivism rates at uh, 76.6% of uh, prisoners who are rearrested within five years. And then you take a look at countries like Norway who are at 20%, right? And we've got to ask ourselves what in the hell are we doing wrong? <laughs> Quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I think, in just to throw this out there real quick, if you go to Netflix, look for 13th. That is the documentary. It might have been the documentary that you saw, uh, leaving. I've watched it probably three times. And it is amazing, but it's called 13th. Mm-hmm. Could be, I'm not sure.
4: I must say, I'm binging now on a Netflix show called For Life. Uh-huh. It act. It has like the warden you were saying. Even the, the the warden in this prison, they're trying to.
3: Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Warden, indeed. Yes.
4: Push reforms and focus on act, like let's say, rehab uh, processes inside the the prisons, which usually are like a, a big uh, drug consumption place. Mm-hmm. But education as well and um, and cultural awareness and everything uh, like that. So yeah, watch the show, read the article. It would be interesting to see a new era of treating this topic it shouldn't be down to just correction and and punishment but reintegration and access to community right so yeah yeah, kudos to them let's say so
2: yeah this is uh this is going to be a european phenomenon for the foreseeable future uh america loves its jails america loves locking up people and with private jails People are making a lot of money from having people in prison. So, yeah, that uh, I think we look to Europe to kind of set the standard. But in my opinion, like this working is incredibly important. And if it doesn't work, it's going to derail humanizing prisons for decades to come, whether it's in Europe or in America. They're launching six prisons in this experiment, and they're spending, I think, a whopping four billion pounds. That's a lot to see that this works. The government hopes to create thousands of jobs for local communities uh, while rehabilitating thousands of offenders and keeping the public safe. So to me, the stakes are incredibly high that this works. They're spending a lot of money. Create, you know. They're, they're choosing a lot of prisons to, to to make this happen. So I'm certainly rooting for them. And I know everyone on this call is as well. Prisons need to be more human. We need to think more about you know drug abuse and mental health and things like that. It should be a goal for every community. But it's also a political minefield when you do this and people want to be reelected. And when you talk about the security of communities, that's kind of high on people's minds when they reelect uh, their politicians. So there's a lot at stake here, uh, a lot of minds that can be stepped on. And I'm hoping uh, that this works out well for everybody. And this is a trend that, that continues in Europe and hopefully without, within uh, the rest of the world and eventually to the good old United States.
1: Yeah, well, I think what we're seeing here is—is is there's no question the U.S. has the biggest population of incarcerated individuals in the world per capita. Yep. But as we talked to the CEO of the 70 Million Jobs Project, uh, he'd said, you know, we're getting to the point here in the U.S. where, you know, when they become us. And there are so many people who are actually in, in jail and in prison incarcerated that we're starting to see the impact and the actual, you know, human beings here in the U.S. who are not in jail. We know somebody who were touched by this. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think this is this is going to be a big change. And, you know, the U.S. obviously needs to watch this very closely since we are the worst country in the world when it comes to prisons and recidivism. Mm-hmm. Prisons should be used as incubators for countries in helping retrain and place those c- citizens back into their communities right so all these these people who are quote-unquote afraid they've bought into this fucking boogeyman for too goddamn long (laughs) because politicians want wanted to be able to make money on these private jails and prisons now all that shit is is touching regular americans it's starting to change and hopefully we'll be able to change like the, the europe and the uk
3: True. And if you say it costs a whopping $4 billion, that's enormous. So at least they can try to give something back to the economy and to the community and retrain those people. If you're detained for, let's say, three, four, five years, it's a perfect moment to study. So I'm not saying you should uh, reskill a burglar to become a locksmith or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Or um, let's say the owner of a crack lab to become a pharmacist assistant. That would would be cool. But um, it's just a perfect moment to... uh, to give those people the opportunity to study and to make something out of their lives.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm curious, Juana, um you've worked for a, a, a wide variety of companies. Any of the companies you worked for, was there an initiative to employ uh, former prisoners or was there any chatter or talk about doing that? Um, any experience with this from the employment or the uh, the employer level?
4: Not so much where I've been. Being in in very focused tech companies, I think the, the only, let's say, community-driven where the impact was really high were like more refugee uh, incorporation, re-education, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. even providing language, internships, and so on. But I think when we talk more about the businesses that have, as we, let's say, for example, Amazon, right? Yep. Um, and I, I think these organizations are starting to launch some uh, initiatives when it comes to more uh, manual jobs or things that require a different path. But There's so much opportunity there, right? I think we just don't explore it enough. And from my experience, at least in this, for example, even the refugee, the municipalities and the governments are so poorly prepared Mm -hmm. to provide this uh, bridge of communication. So incorporating, I don't know, even databases, figuring out how to interview people in this. It's such a cumbersome process. Um, And I, I hope that will be worked as well because... There's no way to reach and, and get an, an answer that would say, oh, yeah, let's start this. It's always like, mm, let's talk next year, or this is not ready, or we yeah. don't encourage you to do that, <laughs> which yeah. is crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: So, I mean, in, in here's a quote from the NDTV article with 24 workshops in a large number of classrooms, residents will take part in formal learning courses, qualifications, and on the job training in areas including coding car maintenance, forklift, truck maintenance, plumbing, and engineering. Now think of, think of that. Those are all things that we need. At least I know that we yep. need here in the US. Yep. You guys need them over there as well. Think of the opportunity to pivot as necessary to, again, to be able to teach these individuals a vocation that they can step right out and they can jump right into right into a job. I mean, that to me is important. And when you think about it, if an individual can't find a job, after they've, they, they've been incarcerated, they've done their time. They can't find a job. They have to put food on the family's table. They have to have a roof over their family. What are they going to do? They're going to go back to what they know and that's going to put them back in prison. We've got to give them options and we're not giving them options.
2: Amen. Well, from uh, the UK, let's jump down to Spain. Ooh. This is from the FT. That's the Financial Times, Chad, in case you didn't know. <laughs> so this was a headline, the Spanish paradox, why jobs are booming as the economy lags. Hmm, It's not just clickbait, everybody. Like the headline reads, Spain created more than a third of all Eurozone jobs created last year. That's pretty impressive. But the economy remains in the doldrums. On one side, more people are now employed by sectors such as health, IT, and social services than was the case when COVID-19 hit just under two years ago. So what's the problem? Well, tourism for one. Last year, the number of foreign tourists visiting Spain and the money they spent were down more than 60% on 2019 levels. Additionally, working hours are down because of fear the economy won't ever improve, and high unemployment among young people is a major issue with youth unemployment at 31%. All right, everyone, what do you make of this situation? What's the solution? And is it maybe a good time to go visit Spain and (laughs) goose that decline in tourism?
4: Can I just say, wow, for the youth unemployment? Yeah, you can. That's very dangerous, right? Like. What is happening? (laughs) Because, I I mean, I'm sure there is a a, a chain reaction from education, access in certain cities. I think Spain is going through what we've seen a bit in the UK or Germany. A lot of these new jobs are being created in just specific areas. And Spain is huge, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't, let's say, balance out accessibility to interesting jobs or, or, or balance through the level of education, a lot of these new generations don't necessarily get to those ones. Like Spain is now importing talent in some areas. When we hear this comparing to the 30%, uh, I'm like, what's happening, right?
2: Yeah, and I think um, you know, I think it's a real wake-up call for them. They've relied so much on tourism, obviously, yeah. and to employ those young people in restaurants and hotels and, and resorts. And when all those things close down, there's no safety net. For those young folks. If you don't have an education in Spain, uh, you are screwed. So it's a huge wake up call. And my, my fear is that the government is just hoping that the tourism comes back um, and that everyone starts spending money and hiring again. Uh, but if that doesn't happen or it hap, or if something, a pandemic or war or something bad happens again, they're going to be in the same place. But so they, they really do need to think about education and their young people when things go bad on the, the tourist side of things.
3: Yeah, I agree. And you said something about uh, the COVID, uh, COVID creating some kind of an economic, economical crisis, but you have to take into account Spain was hit very hard by the crisis in 2008 and the real estate market, which was huge in Spain, mostly for uh, tourism was overextended. It crashed, banks got into trouble. It was almost as bad as in Greece. And with lots of financial support from the European Union and with some, uh, how would I call it, Uh, discipline, which is something Spanish people don't always have, (laughs) Uh, they got out of it. They got over the crisis and now they are pretty stable. So when COVID was hitting them, there was a setback, but it wasn't like the financial crisis because they have their basics right now. The um, deficit on the on the budget is um, not, it's not gone, but it's under control and things are going better. So I'm not surprised that they created so many jobs, but you are right, the youth unemployment is a great, great problem. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing in Brussels, for example, where you have lots of uh, people with a migration background. There was also a youth unemployment number of 30% in those circles. And that's a ticking time bomb because people who don't have the money and who are bored they get into the smart prison, <laughs>
2: <laughs> where they finally get educated and get a good Indeed, job.
3: So the UK is going to solve all the problems for.
2: that's the yeah. cycle. Yeah, okay.
1: we'll, we'll do. We'll do our best. Our place in in Portugal is about thirty minutes from the Spanish border. So we'll go over. We'll spend some money there. Yeah, that way to
2: screw over the that. Spanish uh, economy, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Buy your house in Portugal.
1: That should help everything. So. Uh, here in the here in the, the the U.S. though, we're seeing major job growth due to earlier than expected retirements, lower numbers of immigrants, especially seasonal immigrants. Mothers still not fully back in the workplace, and, and the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Are either one of you seeing the same issues in Europe? Or are they just mainly? Are those just factors that that are impacting the U.S.?
4: Those sound quite U.S. focused things. I don't necessarily see this here. I think what's stopping people now is this um, concentration of, let's say, good jobs or a high volume of jobs in certain areas and certain Mm -hmm. cities. This has always been an issue, but I think pandemic makes hard, like we are hiring from all over the world and the anxiety is super high when, when we ask people, this is your dream job. And they're like, I agree, but I, I do not want to take the risk of moving now and maybe being stuck. there, not being able to visit my family for a year or two or who knows. Right. So there's a high level of anxiety for actually even migrating for jobs. Right. Like even if it's within the same country, people don't want to take the risk or it's just too much unknown. Right. So this will continue, um, I suspect. Um, this is a signal, I would say, to a lot of the organizations to just think more broadly around where they can find talent easier. It's going to be cheaper for them. You just yeah need to be a bit mindful.
3: <laughs> yeah, mobility or job mobility isn't really growing at all in Europe. No. And there are many reasons. I mean, there are the languages, if you cross borders, you have to learn different languages in most cases. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem. And also there's the, just the the real mobility. I Mm -hmm. don't like spending too much time in traffic and remote work is a a possible solution and it will evolve in that direction. But uh, we'll see. It's not like in the US where we have one economy, one giant country, one language. It's Mm -hmm. a different situation.
1: Europe has a bunch of countries in it. Exactly. Uh, so, so w- is remote work going to be part of the bridge to help out? Here we see work trends research provided by TechKernel. The, the The following data was between 2018 and and Q two of 2021 around remote work. Uh, Netherlands jumped from one point one of remote jobs to 4.2. Belgium, under 1% to 3.5. Spain, before the pandemic, the possibility of remote work was hardly even mentioned in job ads. But in 2021, the percentage of jobs was 13 times higher than that of 2018. So we're seeing this huge growth. Do we think that this could prospectively help out uh, the Spanish people, not just working in Spain, but working in in Europe from Spain.
2: I think it helps out, but I think that a lot of those jobs that are remote require, you know, education and certain skills that a lot of these young people apparently don't have and they're relying on tourism and sort of local jobs to fill that void. So I think it could, but I think there's a there's a bridge between education that's not being met that would fill those remote remote roles from my perspective.
3: Exact. And um, the one Spanish guy I know, Andres Cano, he's the chief financial officer of House of HR, a great guy. He's, I think, I don't want to insult him, but reaching 60, I think he's a bit older than I am. He once told me, he said, the biggest gift you can offer your children is to invest in their education. I'm so certain it's true. And in Spain, it's probably even more true than here, because um, the best universities the most famous, I'm not, I can't say the best, but the most famous universities aren't situated in Spain. Yeah. So um, you are almost um, obliged to study abroad, which has extra expenses, etc.
2: Go visit Spain, everybody. That's the, that's the takeaway. Leaving your next conference needs to be in Spain, maybe. I
3: don't know. Okay, okay. Consider we done. Maybe LinkedIn wants to sponsor
2: more if I do it in Spain. There you go. LinkedIn pay for a conference in Spain, goddammit.
4: I I'll do a shameless plug here. I'll be in Spain at a conference in June, uh, hired Barcelona. Um, so they're they're starting. I think they're they're catching on the wave soon.
2: There you go. You want to start the whole process. She's getting yeah. it rolling, everybody. She's getting it rolling. You always give me
1: a reason to go to Barcelona. please. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Love me some Barcelona.
2: Well, Juana, thanks for joining us. This has been so much fun, and you've added so much to the, to the conversation. Um, if anyone wants to connect with you, where would you send them? Here's another LinkedIn plug coming.
4: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just LinkedIn.
2: <laughs> Got it. And everyone else, if you want to hear more, European goodness, just head out to chadcheese.com backslash Europe. Leaving Chad, another one in the books. We out. We out. We out. Thank
5: you for listening to what's it called? A podcast. The Chad, the cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting, they talk about technology, but most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout outs of people you don't even know, and yet you're listening. It's incredible. chadcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts,